Congress outlawed the use of lead for drinking water service lines in the late 80s. But of course, we knew before that that lead is not something that you want to ingest. Um, but that's relatively recent. And a lot of our communities, certainly around the Great Lakes region, were developed well before that. And several communities in places that have received a lot more development later may have used other materials and may not be facing the same sort of risk of lead pipes sort of being those ticking time bombs um, in terms of public health risk um, sitting under their under their communities. So yes, that is a huge part of why the Great Lakes has such a huge lead burden. Um, and I think we can take lessons from other sort of infrastructure projects, investments, upgrades, um, that help us think about how to address the problem in a way that's smart so that we're not going to end up in the same position a hundred years from now. Hello and welcome to Lakes Chat, the show that dives into all things Great Lakes. I'm your host, Jennifer Caddick with the Alliance for the Great Lakes. In today's episode, we're reconnecting with Annalisa Castle, the Alliance's Clean Water and Equity Policy Director. We spoke with Annalisa earlier this season about the big problems facing water and wastewater infrastructure around the Great Lakes region. In this conversation, we'll be digging into the problem of toxic lead pipes that carry water into homes in many Great Lakes cities. Earlier this month, she wrote an op-ed for the Chicago Sun-Times urging an all-hands-on-deck approach to tackling this problem. We'll chat with Annalisa about her advice for state, local, and federal policymakers, and why the Great Lakes region has the opportunity to seize on momentum and get lead pipes out of our communities. Welcome back, Annalisa. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks, Jen. Happy to be here. So, Annalisa, we talked a couple weeks ago about water infrastructure, and I'm, before we really get into talking about um, the details of lead pipes, I want to recap a little bit from our last conversation and one of the things we talked about last time is the sobering statistic that seven out of the top 10 states with the most lead pipes that carry drinking water into homes around the Great Lakes region are, are here in the Great Lakes. And Illinois is at the top of that list. And the city of Chicago is the city in the country that has the most lead pipes. So millions of people around the Great Lakes region are drinking water that's carried to their homes through these toxic pipes. So why is this such a concern for all of us? Well, first of all, lead is toxic to human health. It is especially dangerous for babies and young children. It can cause serious developmental issues, impact uh, brain and kidney and organ development, um, and really have devastating effects on, on, hum on the human body. And yet we are drinking out of these toxic straws. Um, not only that, but those pipes have a lifespan and they are reaching the end of that lifespan. And as those pipes um, deteriorate as they age or if they are disrupted, they can leach lead particles into the water supply so that, you know, even if the water is treated and is clean coming from uh, the plant through the, those lead pipes, can pick up some pretty dangerous contamination on its way to the home. Um, so it's certainly a concern uh, from a public health standpoint, from a, a water safety and infrastructure standpoint. Um, so it's, it's 
it's right that we are paying attention to this issue. Yeah, and we've seen some really strong attention from the federal government recently, which is great. You know, advocates like you and so many others across the region and across the country have been asking for additional funding to get these lead pipes out of our communities. And the federal government um, just allocated a bunch of new funding um, as part of last year's bipartisan infrastructure bill. Um, you know, for replacing these toxic lead pipes. And those those dollars are going to be making their way to states and cities over the coming months and years. Um, but it's my understanding that that funding isn't nearly enough. So what's the gap? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you an estimate. But I just want to start with the caveat that we don't really know how many lead service lines are out there or where they are. States are doing inventories. Um, those should be wrapped up, but who knows if they'll be complete. Um, but it's a big job to go back if, if the records are incomplete, you know, across old cities, um, cities that have been developed at different times and with different record keeping, um, to, to even know where lead pipes are. That's a challenge that we're facing at the sort of local level across the, the Great Lakes region. And then the states collect that data and the federal government collects mm. that data. And that's how we arrive at like what we hope is a close estimate to, to the cost of replacing all lead service lines. So we've seen estimates somewhere north of 47, close to $50 billion, um, depending on how you, how you calculate you know, all of the costs that go into replacing lead service lines and the connected costs to related drinking water infrastructure. Um, that number could be even higher. Um, but last year, the federal government um, appropriated $15 billion in supplemental lead service line replacement funding um, that is going to go through and is going through the Drinking Water State Revolving Fund program, which has additional funding in a mix of grants and loans um, that will make their make its way to communities to do some of this work. So like $30 billion gap, that's what we're saying. <laughs> so that's a lot of sobering information. So we don't even really know how many lead service lines are actually out there. And even if we're based on how many we think are out there, we still need about 30 billion with a B dollars more. So that's a pretty good big gap. But you know, I do want to say, you know, we are the, that 15 billion um, that's currently allocated is a at least a start. It's a really important. It's more than we had before. So it's a really great start. Um, you know, one of the things that spurred your recent op ed, and we can put a link to that op ed on our uh, Lakes Chat webpage, which is greatlakes.org slash Lakes Chat. Um, but one of the things that spurred that op ed was a recent Senate field hearing by Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth on this issue of lead pipes. And she's been a champion on this in the Senate and in the Congress over the past few years. So tell us a little bit about that hearing and what were your biggest takeaways from listening to the testimony offered? Absolutely, I'll, I'll first just start by acknowledging that Senator Duckworth has really been a leader on the issue. Um, it was, I think really her legislation that got wrapped up into that big infrastructure bill, uh, now a law that brought with it all that funding for lead service line replacement. So she's really been at the forefront. And so when she brought together folks to, to discuss, you know, what, what is it really going to take to get this work done? Um, one of the takeaways that, and, and sort of points that I appreciated was that she had local, 
She had the city of Chicago water commissioner, Andrea Chang. She had state, she had Illinois um, Environmental Protection Agency director, Kim. And she had advocacy organizations that work directly with communities and at the federal level and state levels as, as advocates and thought partners. So she had Justin Williams from Metropolitan Planning Council and Anthena Gore from Elevate here in Chicago, really providing a comprehensive perspective on all of the work that it's going to take to make lead service line replacement um, a reality, make it take off, make it, you know, make that make good on that promise of safe, clean, affordable drinking water. And I think the big takeaway that I had is that it's really going to be an all hands on deck approach. There is a role to, for every level of government to play and sort of the nonprofit NGO sector really providing critical support sort of along that pipeline to make sure that the, the work is continuing to happen. The investment is continuing to happen. Strong guidance is continuing to come to from the federal level. Um, and then that states are able to administer these programs, these grant and loan programs for water infrastructure in a way that is equitable, in a way that is um, transparent, because I think another thing that's happening along with the attention from the from the federal government um, to this issue is that people have a lot more questions. There's a lot more visibility around this issue now. So making sure that states are able to engage with communities and then Likewise, that communities can access those dollars and engage their constituents. And so there is a big job ahead of us um, before we even get to shovels in the ground. And it's going to take everybody. Yeah, I think that's a really important message. I think we sometimes pin these issues on one agency or one particular sector. And this is really going to take all of us working together to figure out how to make this happen in a way that's safe and to continue to receive this money, you know, to maximize the money that we have for sure. Um, you know, while we've been advocating, you know, the Alliance for the Great Lakes, our partners, I know Senator Duckworth continues to work in the Senate and many others to get additional funding for these lead pipe replacements. You know, one next step that you're suggesting for the federal government is actually to change how the money for lead pipe replacement is allocated. Um, and so I think that's a really interesting question. Like we would just assume people would be divvied up somehow equally. Um, but tell us a little bit about the problem with how the US EPA is dividing up those dollars right now. Why is that a concern? Well, the biggest concern is that um, the formula that EPA uses to allocate funding through these programs is not one that takes into consideration lead service line replacement needs. So this is the first year um, that EPA is updating that formula through something called the Drinking Water Infrastructure Needs Assessment, DWINA, it sounds like a friend. Uh, <laughs> and this will be the first time um, that that process, that, that infrastructure, the needs survey is going to account for the actual lead burden and incorporate that into its updated formula for distributing the rest of this funding. Um, that said, we do not all share the lead burden equally. So even though um, Illinois is at the top of the list, right? Um, we have something like 
and again, this is based on best estimates, something like 12% of the nation's lead service lines. But our allotment through the current formula for divvying up these dollars is less than 4%. At the same time, uh, communities that have other drinking water needs, or I'm sorry, states that have other drinking water um, infrastructure needs that may be very um, expensive and they may need a big share of the drinking water state revolving fund um, federal money may not have any lead service lines. And yet, um, I probably shouldn't say any lead service lines, may have significantly, proportionately uh, fewer lead service lines. And yet the lead service line replacement funding, this is like a supplemental pot of funding is being allocated according to that sort of same outdated formula. It does not account for lead service line replacement needs. So what we've been advocating for is for EPA to speed up that survey process, arrive at those updated formulas before the next tranche of money goes out for 2023. Whether or not EPA can meet that schedule is, a, is sort of an open question. But it's something that we're going to continue to shine a light on and push for more urgency around because every year that we are allocating funding according to an outdated formula is hundreds of millions of dollars for Illinois uh, and other lead burden states that just are not receiving the lead funding proportionate to their lead need. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating issue. And I think it's a reminder that, you know, we often think of sort of this is a simple process, right? Congress allocates money and boop, it magically ends up, you know, replacing a lead pipe on your block, for instance. But there's a giant process that happens between, you know, a Congress vote or the president signing something to when it ends up, those dollars end up in your community. And I think this is a really um, kind of dramatic example of, of that process, for sure. Yeah. You know, the other thing that occurs to me as we're talking about this is that um, <clears throat> we haven't talked about the fact that lead pipes are in found in much older cities. You know, that's why there are some areas of the country that may not have as many lead pipes because, you know, as, as humans learned more information and realized, oh, it might not be great to have our drinking water pass through lead pipes, a lot of newer, relatively newer communities don't have these lead pipes, whereas communities around the Great Lakes that are old, right, you know, much older than, say, something in the Southwest or on the West Coast. Um, would you say that's an actual, a, a good assessment of sort of why some communities have this problem versus others? Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it, right? So Congress outlawed the use of lead for drinking water service lines in the late 80s. But of course, we knew before that that lead is not something that you want to ingest. Um, but that's relatively recent. And a lot of our communities, certainly around the Great Lakes region, were developed well before that. And several communities in places that have received a lot more development later may have used other materials and may not be facing the same sort of risk of lead pipes sort of being those ticking time bombs um, in terms of public health risk um, sitting under their, under their communities. So yes, that is a huge part of why the Great Lakes has such a huge lead burden. Um, and 
I think we can take lessons from other sort of infrastructure projects, investments, upgrades um, that help us think about how to address the problem in a way that's smart so that we're not going to end up in the same position a hundred years from now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really important lesson learned there. Hopefully for all of us. <laughs> um, you know, one thing you and I have talked about sort of stepping back from just the, the moment of, you know, the replacing the lead pipes and how the money gets there is one thing we've talked about is the opportunity for cities like Chicago, for instance, to get creative when thinking about lead pipe replacement. You know, if you have to go in and dig up it, uh, most of your city streets, there's an opportunity to, while you're doing that, address a wide range of the challenges facing neighborhoods. So what are what do you see as some of those opportunities? Well, I think from just a cost savings perspective, getting really strategic about infrastructure upgrades, um, aligning at the same time so that when you're digging up a street, you're taking care of multiple problems at once. So you don't have to, you know, do a water main and then two years later, go back and dig up the street and do all the, the lead lines coordinating with private utilities and departments of transportation so that, you know, like you don't have to then dig up again next time the gas line needs to be updated. Right. Um, so I think there's, there's certainly that opportunity. And then um, in terms of some of the other benefits to neighborhoods, you know, we know, especially in the great lakes region that as climate change continues um, to exacerbate weather events, um, precipitation levels going up, that we're going to need to be really thoughtful about how we're capturing and managing stormwater. And so as drinking water systems, including lead service lines, um, are, are being upgraded, I think it's a really good opportunity for cities to, to really look at, at their sewer and stormwater infrastructure, identify opportunities to install green infrastructure that might be able to use sort of nature-based solutions to capture some of that excess uh, water. Um, so I think there are a lot of ways that lead service line replacement, which is you know something that many communities in the Great Lakes region are gonna be forced to contend with over the next several years, um, the communities can harness multiple benefits, invest in neighborhood beautification, um, and of course, take the opportunity to talk to the folks who live on those blocks, uh, engage residents in this, process which is you know like can like you were saying it's it, it's really hard to really to understand sort of the scope and all the different pieces at play but the more that people um, have an understanding of what goes into delivering safe clean affordable water I think the more invested that we all become in um, water security and preserving um, high quality functioning water systems yeah, and I think it's a really exciting opportunity when you, you know, certainly for all those things. And when you start thinking about the, like the ancillary benefits of things like green infrastructure, where were you using plants to help manage stormwater, right? Like we need more trees in our cities to help um, with the, you know, uh, heat island effect from climate change. There's job opportunities, uh, job creation opportunities through this whole process. So I think there's, it's really exciting to think about big picture. Um, but this really gets at your point about the all hands on deck approach, right? That, um, you know, we're going to need all those different uh, levels of government to help us think creatively about how to help make that happen. Definitely. Yeah. You know, 
we've talked about this a little bit, but I want to sort of reemphasize for our listeners about why a group like the Alliance for the Great Lakes that is, you know, sort of more traditionally has been focused on Great Lakes restoration. People say you should be worried about the fish and the birds on the lake. And why are you worrying about pipes under the streets and what's coming out of people's homes? Um, And you talk about this a little bit in your op-ed and you make an argument for a broader view of clean water in the region. Tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So I think the Great Lakes provide drinking water for 40 million people across the U.S. and Canada. It is one of the most intimate and primary important ways that people engage with the Great Lakes. Um, So if we are protecting and preserving and continuing to invest in Great Lakes restoration, making sure that source water is clean and healthy and those ecosystems are thriving, it, it feels it would be a huge missed opportunity and a, almost, I hate to say, a waste of, of that, that effort if by the time it reaches people in their homes, it gets, you know, contaminated along the way. Like we are a Great Lakes organization. And to me, that means we are protecting the Great Lakes from source to tap. We are concerned with how people, communities and industries and wildlife engage with this water system and drinking water, storm water, water service to communities is one of the most important ways that the Great Lakes show up for us every day. And so it's very important that we show up to protect clean water from source to tap. You know, this issue can feel um, a bit overwhelming for sort of an individual listener, right? I'm sure our listeners are saying like, oh, no, well, where do I even start um, if I'm worried about this issue? I want to get engaged in this issue in my community. So what can our listeners do to learn more about the issue and to help to, to take action, get involved? Absolutely. So I think there are a lot of ways that folks can get involved on this issue. I mean, first of all, please check out our website, check out our action center, look out for opportunities um, that, you know, we at the Alliance and our allies around the region are providing for you to raise your voice, to demand the funding and action required to deliver safe, clean water. Um, And then sort of closer to home, I suppose, you can find out if you have a lead service line. You can talk to your water utility to figure out, you know, what are you doing to replace lead lines in our community? What is happening at the state level? Are the state and local uh, entities um, working on a plan to replace lead service lines? Is more help needed? Um, and and kind of go from there. Yeah, and we can put links to some of those resources on the Lakes Chat webpage, which is greatlakes.org slash lakeschat. And we can... Um, Uh, link to how you can find out about uh, whether or not you have lead service lines in your neighborhood um, and steps that you can take um, in your home right now um, to protect yourself from lead in drinking water. So this is certainly a a big issue that we're going to keep talking about. Um, And I know, Annalisa, you're on the case trying to make sure that these funds are distributed equitably and that Congress continues to um, put forth more funding to get these toxic lead pipes out of our communities. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. 
Thank you for listening. On our website, greatlakes.org slash lakeschat, you'll find links to more information about the topics that we talked about today. And you can also sign up for updates to stay in the know about Great Lakes issues and opportunities to get involved. Special thank you to my colleague, Michelle Farley, who produces this podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you'll know when the next episode drops. Talk to you next week.